Good day, everyone, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS podcast where we interview life science luminaries. I'm your host, SLAS Scientific Director Marshall Brennan, and today we're chatting with Puria Rafsanjani Nijad. Puria comes to us from the University of Akron in Ohio, where he studies the toxicity of kinase pathway inhibitors in combination treatments using 3D cell cultures. He was recently awarded the Tony B. Travel Award, and we're really, really glad to be able to talk with him today on the show. Welcome, Puria. Thank you. Thanks for the glad introduction. Glad to be here. All right. So in SLAS tradition, we're looking for the elevator pitch here. Can you describe to us your day-to-day work in 10 words or fewer? Going every day to the lab, making a series of different kinds of cells, and then seeing the effects of drugs on Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. I can dig it. Well done. All right. So now you've gotten through that. And mm-hmm. with a little bit more verbosity, can you tell us about your research project, especially as it pertains to the uh, work you uh, presented at SS 2021? All right. So basically, there's a big problem with cancer therapeutics. Actually, there's two big problems. One is many of the drugs that we find against cancer turn out to be not efficacious enough. And the second is you can kill cancer, but you don't have to kill the person. Give the that, person that, a that's bleach. That's true. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it's, uh, it's a fine line between, uh, you know, they don't have cancer, but they might have bigger problems now, right? Exactly. Like, And so you need to find a drug that is both effective against tumorigenic cells, but not toxic toward other types of cell lines. So previous research in our lab was focused on finding those effective drugs. Once I came into the lab, my PI wanted to expand this to see, okay, from the ones that we find that are more potentially effective, can we find something that is less toxic? So my project involved doing early modeling of different kinds of cells, organs, to be able to predict in the earlier stages what a drug can do. Could you tell us a little bit about your thinking about how you approach this problem? Like, what are the challenges that you are most excited about uh, tackling first? Okay. So one of the first ones that we incorporated in this poster was trying to go from 2D to 3D. So we have already done this for cancer cells. We have been making um, cell experiments with this technique called aqueous two-phase systems in which we essentially put them in two different polymers that are not immersible in each other initially. And then once the spheroids form, we would dilute them, and then we have our spheroids. We have been doing this with cancer cell lines. I have extended this to some non-tumorigenic cell lines with the hopes of being able to capture something that might happen later on with normal cells, normal being in in this non Homogenic. Obviously, one of the big challenges is replicating human body, human organs, and human complexity in an accurate way. So that's just an initial step. And as you want to have, as you want to get to that, let's say, physiology of the normal tissue, you need to like make your system more complex. The cells get harder and harder to work with. And yeah, these would be. I would say the hardest challenge is to accurately represent an normal tissue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you're volunteering to work with quite a lot of different variables in your system. Um, so deconvoluting this has to be a challenge. 
do you see there uh, being challenges when you start thinking about multiple drugs being administered at the same time? Is there you know, obviously cancer is a very heterogeneous population, and so how do you try to keep that problem from getting too hairy before you even start? So that's actually a question that is also everybody is concerned about because you have drugs that are like that are very specific and try to like act on this specific protein in the pathway, and then you try to combine it with the drug that like maybe is acting on a parallel pathway that is activated when you're depressing that first pathway. So there is some rationale behind it. It's built on previous work. So there have been successful even clinical trials, successful candidates for clinical trials say, okay, these drugs might work and all that. I'm not heavily involved with selecting those drugs sometimes. So we tend to rely on previous clinical studies for selecting those combinations. But it also gets hard because even some of them, we do not know how they act on, like, there have been a good bunch of them that we have realized, oh no, this is not the protein that we thought it would act on. It's a separate protein, but it is having the same effect. But oh no, it's having the same effect on, like, distant cells in the other organ. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a Clearly, an incredible challenge, um, and so I mean, hats off to you for selecting um, such a uh, difficult problem for your uh, research. But it's really great to to know that you've at least thought through um, some of these things and are ready to address that. What to you is the most exciting moment you've had in lab or professional accomplishment you've had today? It's trivial, but I haven't done Western blotting before this, so. Once I've learned how to vest and blood, and it takes like, you plan for it three weeks in advance, you do your experiments in the weeks before you get your samples and do two days of experiment. And then there is just small bands of light that come in. <laughs> and it, it, it's a chill once you see them in there. Especially it's a chill when you have what you expected on there, but with just a small surprise. Not too much, but just a small enough so you know you don't have to repeat it, but you have some data you need, to, you can like explore with other ways. Yeah, that's always great. I mean, especially when you've got a new skill that you're working on, just that validation that like not only was the effort worth it, but you, you did it properly. It was worth the time. You, you've got mm-hmm. the, the result. Um, and hopefully now this will not even be close to the last one you run, but like that first time that sort of like, Sigh of relief is exactly like the first time I ran it alone. <laughs> I, I remember it. And so, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, what brought you uh, to where you are now, and what made you choose a career in science? I would say to a great deal, my mom, and that was completely like directly because since being a kid, I was kind of brought up as being like curious. I loved my toys, and my favorite toys were remote control cars. And after like one week of having them, I would just break them apart, see what is inside, and try to like make some never work. But <laughs> I want to like make a new remote control. And but everybody encouraged me for that. So there was this kind of curiosity built in me. And later on in um, high school, it kind of translated to a love for engineering. But at that time, I was very bad at bio. 
I didn't really like it. But funny enough, because of the way our university field selection worked, I ended up in biomedical engineering. And after having that like initial engineering background, once I learned about biology, I realized, okay, human body is the ultimate engineering machine. And from an engineering perspective, it has way more than we thought. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's really cool. And so it really kind of resonates with me, your story about like, you know, maybe uh, not having the best fit with biology early on, but having it fit later. I mean, chemistry was my, my worst subject in school and I got my PhD in it in the end. And so like <laughs> these things happen in really weird ways. Based on that experience and how you sort of reframed the sort of problem of biology for yourself, what's your advice for younger students who might be uh, struggling to find the right problem to solve? Going based on my own story, I would say be curious for the sake of curiosity. Like, let yourself ask the question that you want to ask. Never shy away from it. Many times I was looked at as like the nerd kid, but right now I would say it's not how they think of me anymore. So, hey, you know what? Uh, I will put a line in the sand here. SLAS <laughs> at SLAS, we love nerds. We're for nerds, by nerds, and we'll continue mm-hmm. to support nerds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would rather hang out with a nerd right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You're, you know, you're in good company. But um, it uh, speaks to a little bit of a... It sounds almost like fearlessness that you're, you're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sort of... I think that's probably one place where you know, early schooling makes things difficult because they tell you you're bad at biology, but they don't give you the opportunity, at least initially, to say like, okay, well, how can I apply what I am good at to solving these problems? And so I think there's a lot of value there. So you are you know, part of the SLAS community, and we're really glad to have you here. Who are you most excited to meet and network with at SLAS, especially when we can get back in person? I found good automation technology published here and there everywhere. And uh, I'm interested in learning more about robotics in the lab. We have a liquid handler. It's one of my favorite toys in the lab. I, I like to program in every other every other way that I can. So like high level technicians that work on those would be my ideal type of people. <laughs> well, hey, there's no shortage of folks like that in SLAS. I feel like uh, you'd probably get along with uh, Jonathan O'Connell, one of our board members. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the suggestion. Yeah. I would look it up. Absolutely. So thank you so much for your time. I'm really glad we got a chance to uh, talk today. So glad that you got to join us for SLAS 2021. Do you have any last thoughts about either your career or your research that you want to share with our listeners before we call it quits? Well, I'm for the very near future, I'm looking to get a little bit more data from what we have published in the SLAS, get some complementary like PCR analysis and stuff like that. And then I'm trying to transition into making connected models, like something like organ and chips that have like that are first of all very simple so it can translate into like higher throughput data and hopefully even compatible with robotics so again enables higher throughput data and be connected systems with different physiology so you have like a cancer component in there a normal component and then you can test therapeutics simultaneously on them and then see the 
interplay between them because you can do them in separate culture plates, but it's not necessarily going to be the same connected tissue. And yeah, hopefully things go from there. You never know. So far, my biggest enemy was like a small bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's always little things getting in the way. And like that's the thing about science, though, is that you know, even when things don't go well, you usually learn something from it, though, right? So mm-hmm. it's an exciting time. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. I really wish you the best of uh, luck with the rest of your research. And I literally look forward to uh, uh, being able to talk to you in person at a future SLAS meeting. On behalf of uh, SLAS, the New Matter Podcast and listeners, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Um, I look forward to meeting you too.